0: You can be seated, church. We are really blessed to have Reverend Neil Bernard come to share God's Word with us this morning. Before you welcome him, I have to do a bit of an intro here. Um, last week we had our church meeting and um, some really significant decisions were made. There was a tremendous sense of God's leading and presence with us at that meeting, in fact. And there was um, three important appointments. Tyrone Thomas, who's been our children's worker this year, he was appointed to be a pastor here at Bridgman. He's going to look after our kids' ministry moving forward. Tamara Cortese is stepping in as a pastoral intern, uh, which is a huge blessing to us. And and Reverend Neil Bernard's been appointed. Um, We'll do an official commissioning early next year before Neil starts, but um, has been appointed as a part-time pastor. I just wanna say this church, God is with us. He is leading us, He is providing for us. He's amazing. We've been praying a lot saying, God help us as we move forward, equip us with what we need. And God has been so faithful. To that as we pray together, sought Him. And so we're really excited about these appointments. Neil, we are really excited to have you join the team. Neil has preached this sermon for the last 25 so years, probably more than that now. I think I've been seeing 25 for the last few we years, can't. but 25 it is. Every year he comes, he preaches this message to help us with the team. We we're really busy this week getting set up. And you here again faithfully, but we are so excited. I'm so excited. We're as a church excited. You're joining the team here as well, leading our Inspire service going forward, helping with our pastoral care. He's only a day a week, so don't put too much pressure on him. But we are blessed that you're going to be coming to help <laughs> as um, we move forward in the future. So, church, can you give him a really, really big welcome as he comes to share with us? Thanks, Nate. Great. Thank, thank,
1: thank you very much. Can you turn on. Yeah. I've been preaching through a series on the fruit of the Spirit. And if you were here last year, I preached on kindness. So this morning is faithfulness. This morning is faithfulness. Don't you love it when you have to rely on somebody to turn up somewhere, pick you up or something late at night, and you know that this person is going to be there. They're going to be there on time. You're tired. You just want to get home. And this person has arrived, and they're ready to pick you up and take you home, and, and a warm greeting and you think how good is this I can rely I can trust on this person they will be there for me but also I'm I'm sure we have stories where the opposite occurs we've relied on somebody and for whatever reason they haven't come through for us they haven't turned up for us I was invited to attend the Cape and Ray Asian Pacific Conference at Yamanakako, which is a few hours south of Tokyo in Japan And talking to a board member before I left, I discovered that he was going to arrive at Narita Airport on the same day that I was. He was going to arrive about nine o'clock in the morning from Australia. And I decided, well, since the Cape and Ray's flying me to Japan and back, I'll just pay $400 and zip over to Germany the week before and try and do some promotion for the school there. And so I was flying in from Germany, arriving at three o'clock in the afternoon. So I said to Ivor, look, we're both arriving on the same day. Let's travel together. Let's both go down to Yappanakarco together. Okay, Neil. asked him three times. Ivor, you're going to stay uh, at the airport and meet me, aren't you? Yes, Neil. Ivor, you're going to stay at the airport and meet me? Yes, Neil. Ivor, going to, yes, Neil. Yes, Neil. Yes, Neil. It's all good. Flew to Germany. Didn't, ha- didn't take my mobile phone with me arrived at Narita Airport, three o'clock in the afternoon, picked up my bag, walked around the airport, where's Iva? where's Iva? Well, what do you do? I thought, well, I have the one option of staying at the hotel here at the airport, that's gonna cost me about $125. I can get on a little adventure, see how far I can get to Yamanakako. So I went to the information desk and I spoke to the lady there who had some kind of broken English, how do I get to this place? And she said in her kind of broken English that I needed to go downstairs, hop on the fast train, that would take me through to this airport and she drew the Japanese characters for me and then I need to change at that station, head upstairs, get onto the domestic line, that would take me to another train station, wrote down those Japanese characters and then Needed to hop off at that station, go up, walk across the road, go to the bus station, the bus would take me to Yamanakako. How hard could that be? <laughs> so I went downstairs, hopped on the fast train, and like our trains, right, they have along there all the ne- what the next station is, what the next station is. So I'm looking at these Japanese characters, trying to align them, and of course, every time I look down the paper, right, it's gone. Well, the guy next to me, Japanese guy next to me, saw me, and he Came up to me and he goes, Two more stations, two more stations. Oh, how good is that? Two more stations. Hopped off, went upstairs, had to get onto the domestic line. Now I have to get a domestic ticket. Well, that was a little bit of a drama, but I was able to get that. It was now about seven o'clock, I think, eight o'clock at night. Hopped off, went down to the bus station and said to them, I need to get to Yamanakiko, and they said, ten minutes time, the last bus, the last bus tonight is leaving. I thought, yes, how great is this? I'm going to get to Yamanakako. Hopped on the bus and that took a while, 45 minutes or an hour, pulled up at Yamanakako station thinking, now how do I contact the centre? Didn't have my phone with me. Well, there was a Japanese girl and she had her phone. So I asked her, I said, is there any chance you could phone this number for me? And she gave me her phone. So I dialled the number and Peter answered the phone. And Peter said hello, and I said, Hi Peter, it's Neil. Oh, you must be at Narita Airport. I said, No, I'm at Yamanakako bus station. Really? How did you get there? He said, That's only a 10 minute walk from where we are. I'll grab Iva and we'll come down and meet you. <laughs> mm, iva. Christian Grace so the two of them came down and met me at the bus station how did you get here how did you get here we didn't think that you would arrive tonight we were sure you going to stay at Narita Airport Ivor why did you abandon me abandon me in a foreign country and Ivor said well Neil Charlie flew in from America and I met up with Charlie and Charlie said, Ivor, what are you doing here at the airport? And Ivor said, I'm waiting for Neil. He gets in at three o'clock this afternoon. And Charlie said, no, no, don't wait for Neil. He can look after himself. Come with me. Ivor. Faithfulness. That person who's there, who's there on time, that person who's reliable and dependent. The definition of faithfulness is to commit to someone or something the quality of being loyal. I say the faithfulness can be answered with two questions. Is what you say true and do you do what you promise? That's the degree of your faithfulness. Is what you say true and do you do what you promise? Faithful, these days, is probably not a word we would use of someone. We would say that the person is reliable, the person is dependent, but we don't really say of other people that they're a faithful person. But that word is used of God, an attribute of God. We might say that, for instance. uh, A dog is faithful or a car is faithful. It always starts when I want it to start. But faithfulness is an attribute of God. God is reliable. You can trust him. You can depend on him. God's words, what he says are true and what God promises he does. In fact, in Psalm 89, I think the psalmist here is so kind of overwhelmed with the faithfulness of God that he mentions it eight or five times, sorry, in this, in this uh, psalm. Verse one, psalmist writes, I will sing of your steadfast love, O Lord, forever. With my mouth I will proclaim your faithfulness to all generations. Verse two, I declare that your steadfast love is established forever. Your faithfulness is as firm as the heavens. Verse five, let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones. Verse eight, O Lord God of hosts, who is as mighty as you, O Lord? Your faithfulness surrounds you. Verse 24, this is the Lord speaking. My faithfulness and steadfast love shall be with him and in my name his horn shall be exalted. If you're of my generation, you've grown up with a scripture in song and that little scripture and song, song that I constantly sing to myself all the time. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, his mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great, great is thy faithfulness. Here the writer is saying that the mercies of the Lord are boundless. There, are, there is no limit to them. They are new every morning because God is unchanging. He is faithful. You can depend on him. He's reliable. You can trust him. His steadfast love is divine mercies. This was one of the most important lessons that the children of Israel needed to learn the faithfulness of God. You know the story. God brought them out of Egypt and they were slaves. And if they were to go by the coast route, coastal route into the promised land, probably taken them anywhere between 10 and 13 days. Instead, God led them down into the desert. And they ended up staying there for 40 years to get into the promised land. And God had a reason for that. I think of these Israelites as they came out of Egypt, they'd only known slavery, they'd only known every day to be told by taskmasters, this is what you are to do today. Imagine living like your life like that every day. This is your job, this is your job, this is your job. Now you've been set free from that country and now you're going to some distant promised land And you're confronted with some army that has spears and has chariots. And all you know is how to throw rocks and call people names. As soon as there was any threat, I imagine these Israelites would hightail it back to Egypt. That's why perhaps perhaps God didn't send them by the coastal route. Instead, he took them down into the desert. But that had its own complications because they needed food every day, they needed water every day, their clothes not to wear out, their shoes not to wear out, and the Lord provided for them and taught them a valuable lesson. He provided manna. Now, we're not sure exactly what manna is, but Scripture describes it as this, the corn of heaven or the angel's food. This provision of the Lord was on a daily basis. Every day, what they needed there was enough. They weren't allowed to store it. They weren't allowed to keep it. It would go stale, it would go rotten. But on the day before the Sabbath, God provided twice as much so that they did not need to work on the Sabbath. Let me read to you Exodus chapter 16, verse 13. In the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the layer of dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was a fine, flaky substance, as fine as the frost on the ground. When the Israelites saw it, they said to one another, "Hmm, what is this? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over until morning, but... They did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it until morning and it bred worms and became foul. Morning by morning, they gathered it as much as each needed. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. God providing manna for some two, two and a half million people every day for 40 years. That's a lot of manna. And God let them go hungry so that they might trust in him to see him provide. Deuteronomy 8, 3, 4. The Lord humbled you by letting you hunger, then by feeding you with manna with which neither you nor your ancestors were acquainted, in order to make you understand that one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. What was the the lesson the Israelites needed to learn? They weren't to trust in the manor. They weren't to trust in the water in the lake over there. They weren't to trust in their clothes or the shoes on their feet. They were to trust in the Lord, the one who prov- would provide for them. Isn't that verse interesting? The Lord let them go hungry so that they might learn the lesson that he would be the one who would provide for them. There may be occasions in your life where the Lord lets you go hungry so that you will see his provision in your life. After I left Ashgrove Church, I had about six months where my only income was to drive up to Gimpy Community Church and preach there every Sunday. Preaching fee, I think, was about $100. I had mortgage, I had car expenses, everything else that goes with it and I started to see my bank balance go down and go down and go down, it's not a great feeling. Thinking to myself, I'm gonna set a limit of $2,000. When my bank account gets to $2,000, I'm going to start packing everything up, I'll move in back with Mum at Brighton, she will love that, and uh, I'll rent out my unit, I'll be able to cover my expenses. And I got down to about $2,300. Now I'm, I'm a planner, right? Now I'm starting to think, okay, Neil, what are the things you need to pack up? All your books and all that stuff. And surprise, surprise, out of the blue, 96.5 gave me a call. Said, Neil, we're gonna have a temporary transmission. Would you be available to come and work for us for a month as an announcer and working in production? And we shall pay you a week wow added on to the $100 getting preaching on Sunday I thought man this is all I need this is great this is going to cover all my expenses I don't need to move out sometimes the Lord allows us to be hungry so that we trust in him, we rely on him, not the things that are around us, so that we will depend on him and that he will come through for us and we will see his provision in our lives. One man, scripture tells us, was unfaithful, was unreliable and independent. And because of that, God took him from ruling the nation, took the crown off his head and the Holy Spirit, the anointing of the Holy Spirit from him because of his unfaithfulness to the Lord. A man is Saul. I read of Saul's life and I think he had such a great beginning, a great start. Everything that a king of a nation needed to have. Let me tell you, 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 1, says of Saul, chosen by the Lord, 1 Samuel 9, physically and psychologically suitable. He was a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. He stood head and shoulders above everyone else. Equipped spiritually, 1 Samuel 10. He was given another heart by God. God gave him his Holy Spirit and changed Saul's values, changed Saul's heart, changed Saul's mind on what he thought about the things of the Lord. People loved him. 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 23. All the people shouted, Long live the king! Everything about this guy was so promising. 1 Samuel chapter 11 everybody supported him. All of them came out as one man. Saul, you are the man. We're behind you. What happened to this guy who started so well and finished so poorly? He became disinterested in God. I find it interesting that his firstborn son, Jonathan, his name means Yahweh gave, and yet a future son of Saul was called Ishbal, man of Baal. Over a course of a number of years, Saul's heart turned away from the Lord and turned towards Baal. He became unfaithful. Well, what was his first error? 1 Samuel chapter 13. Saul became more interested in his own popularity than being faithful to God. The Philistines, we read, had mustered at a place called Micmash. I love that name, Micmash. Saul was at Gilgal. We read that the Israelites were so afraid they hid in caves, in holes, in rocks, in cisterns. And in those days, before the king went out and fought in battle, he would get the prophet or priest of the day to make a sacrifice of a burnt offering before he went into the battle. And so Saul calls for Samuel. Samuel, I'm ready to go and fight the Philistines. Come and make the burnt offering so that we can start the fight. We read in that chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 13, that Saul waited seven days and Samuel didn't turn up. So Saul figures, well, he's not arriving, right? I'll make, I'll make the sacrifice. So Saul made the sacrifice himself. And as he's making the sacrifice, who should turn up? Samuel. And Samuel says to Saul these words, what have you done? And what was Saul's reply? When I saw the people slipping away from me, see, he's more interested in popularity, when I saw the people slipping away from me and you did not come in the day appointed, I made the burnt offering. And Samuel's word to Saul you've done foolishly. You've not kept the commandment of the Lord your God which he commanded you. The Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom will not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and the Lord has appointed him to be ruler over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. See, the problem Saul was unfaithful to the Lord. He did what he should not have done and he blamed someone else. So that's his first error. Now, the kingdom wasn't taken away from him immediately. Some 20 years later, Another event occurs, 1 Samuel chapter 15. The Amalekites. The the Amalekites had ready for war against Israel. And God had spoken through Samuel to Saul that Saul was to fight the Amalekites and this was to be a holy war. He was to kill everything. Man, woman, children, beasts, all were to be destroyed so that the Amalekites would be so afraid of God, of Yahweh, that they would run for their lives. And what does Saul do? Saul kept the best of the sheep, the cattle, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was valuable alive. He should turn up. Samuel arrives on the scene. Saul, what's this? bah, bah, I can hear in my ear. And what's this? Mmm, mmm. And Saul says this to Samuel. Oh, look, I've spared the best to sacrifice to the Lord. And Samuel says, stop. I told you what to do. You were to utterly destroy everything. And then we know this, don't we? It is better to obey than sacrifice. Samuel said to Saul, the Lord has torn the kingdom from you this very day and given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. What did Saul do? He didn't do what he should have done and he blamed someone else. The first instance he did what he shouldn't have done and he blamed someone else. Now he didn't do what he should have done and he blamed someone else. He showed himself to be unfaithful, unreliable, independent, insensitive, proud and irresponsible. He let his position and power go to his head. And the final rejection from God is that God took his Holy Spirit from Saul and placed it on Daniel, on David. And then these are probably the saddest words I read in scripture. 1 Samuel 28 verse 15, this is Saul speaking and he says this, God has turned away from me, he no longer answers me. Started so well, had everything going for him but he was unfaithful to the Lord and he lost the kingdom, he lost the crown on his head, he lost the popularity of the people and most importantly, he lost the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Of all the people who've walked on this earth, Jesus is the most faithful. In fact, scripture reminds us again and again, Revelation 19, Jesus, the rider on the white horse, is given the title faithful and true. Hebrews 2.17, Jesus is called a merciful and faithful high priest. 2 Timothy 2.13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 Thessalonians 5.24, the Lord is faithful to his calling on your life and he will do it. Why is Jesus faithful? Because what he says is true and he does what he has promised. He is faithful. And Jesus told this story, I'm sure we know this story well, in Matthew chapter 25 of a master who was going away and he decided to give his three servants talents. Now a talent in today's amount of money, I worked out is about $400,000. That's a lot of money. And so he calls one servant in and says, I'm going to give you five talents, $2 million. Calls the second servant in, I'm going to give you two talents, $800,000. Call the next one, I'm going to give you one talent, $400,000. And the master goes away. And the one who has five talents, he's able to work it so that he ends up with 10 talents. And the one with five talents, he's able to put that to work and so that he ends up with double, two talents. He ends up with four talents. But the one who has one talent, he goes and buries it in the ground. And the master comes back and he says to the one who has one talent, you wicked and lazy slave, you ought to to have invested the money with the bankers for even then you'll have earned interest different days from what they are now that's for sure <laughs> I'm going to take that one talent from you and give it to the one who has 10 talents now that's a great story I love this story but here here's the clinch this is what Jesus says Matthew twenty-five, twenty-nine: for to all those who have more will be given and they will have an abundance But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. What's Jesus saying? Whatever you have, even if it's a meagre small amount, make sure you are faithful with that because then you have the potential, the possibility that I will give you more when I see your faithfulness with just a little. How can a person who's not responsible, faithful with their own income, Be placed in a position in a company when they are responsible for a large amount of money. Whatever you have, be faithful in that, Jesus is saying. For greater responsibility does not change people, it exposes them for who they are. I know this is a bit of a corny line, but it did make me laugh when I read it. You can't be faithful at the top if you haven't been faithful with a mop. So true. Mother Teresa, she said these words, be faithful in the small things because it is in them that your strength lies. Be faithful with what the Lord has given you and see what he shall do. Well, faithfulness is a fruit of the spirit, which means this. Some of us, right, are just naturally faithful people. That's who we are. That's our nature. But for other, others of us, right, we need faithfulness. Well, actually, actually, we all need faithfulness. And that's why it's the fruit of the Spirit. God is saying, you know, you can't do this on your own. In fact, I don't expect it of, it, of you, you on your own. That's why I give you my Spirit to live in you so that my faithfulness, will be shown in and through your life in all various ways and aspects, the faithfulness of God living in you and through you to a world that we'd have to say in a large degree is unfaithful, unfaithful. So I thought just various ways, let's bring it down to earth. Let's think about various ways in which we can be faithful. Well, of course, one is the marriage relationship. God says to husbands, be faithful to your wives for that faithfulness is a demonstration of Christ's love for the church. Scripture says, be faithful in your relationships, in family life. You know, parents who drop their kids off at sport or something like that, if they're constantly late in picking kids up again and again and again from that thing, you know what the child's gonna think? I just can't trust mom and dad they tell me that they're going to be here on time but they're always late what about faithfulness to your siblings faithfulness in the church the church can only survive because the majority of people have given up their time and talent so that you can enjoy all that we're enjoying this morning. There's been an army of people. People have cleaned this church, the audio guys, the the, uh, the visual guys. Everybody's been organised so that you can just be here and enjoy. And these people, this army of people, turn up every week, every week to serve you. No financial gain, but to be your servants. Be faithful, faithful in the church. What about work situation? Christians, turn up to time because the boss says, this is where, when I expect you to start. Don't take long, long lunch breaks. Finish when the boss expects you to finish, or guess what? Might even do a little bit extra at the end of the day. Be faithful in your work situation. Be faithful to authorities. If you're driving, leave that phone alone. Faithfulness, we can show faithfulness in so many different ways. The demonstration of the quality of life that we are to show is to an unbelieving world and does not possess this quality of life in order that we might lead them to the one who does not yet possess them. So be faithful. The words you say are true, and the things you do are what you've promised. Let's pray together. Lord, you call us to be a faithful people, faithful in every aspect of our lives. And Lord, we come to you, Lord. We know in and of ourselves, Lord. Some of us, Lord, are just not faithful. And we all need, we all need your faithfulness, Lord, to live in and through us, Lord, that your spirit might live in us and through us, Lord, so that an unbelieving world will see a quality of life that they do not yet possess in order that we might lead them to the one who's yet to possess them. So, Lord, may your faithfulness be shown in our lives. We ask and pray in Jesus'
0: precious name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Neil, so much for sharing that word with us. We're going to respond in worship. And it's a beautiful song, actually. just speaks of God's goodness, His faithfulness to us. As we're singing this song, perhaps this morning, you know that you're in one of those desert situations, you know, in the midst of some trials and some challenges. But you have an opportunity this morning just to affirm your faith and trust in God in His faithfulness. And so, as you sing this song, make this a make this a declaration. Make this an affirmation, your heart. God, I'm trusting you. I'm looking to you. I know you. Have, you've been faithful in the past. You'll be faithful again. And for others, maybe there is a challenge there for us to be faithful in some area of our lives where God's just calling us. Hey, remember to be faithful there. Remember to be an example of what I am like and let that Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit flow through me. Maybe there's some situation in your life and the Spirit of God is just prompting you there. Ask God just for His help that He would fill you this morning to help you to to be faithful in that situation, to be a demonstration of who God is. So why don't we stand together? We're going to worship as we respond in our hearts, sing these great words of God's goodness. Let's stand as we sing together.
2: love to do. Oh God, you're so good, oh God, you're so good.
0: thank You for Your goodness. We thank You for Your faithfulness, Lord. We thank You that we can trust You, that You are the same yesterday, today and forever, great God. And so we look to You again. And I pray, Lord, that You'll just encourage and strengthen us as Your people or for some particularly this morning, I know this is a word for them, Lord, just to, just to know they can trust You completely as they affirm again, Lord, just that they're looking to You, great God, that You are more than able. And Lord, help us just to reveal Your love, reveal Your faithfulness, Your goodness, Your kindness, Your mercy, Lord, to our community and beyond. We pray particularly this week again, Lord, just bless it. we pray. And we ask this in Jesus' Name, Amen. Amen, please be seated if you'd like prayer. Our prayer team will be down the front here. They'd love to pray for you. Our Connections Lounge is opening up, up the back there as well. You're so welcome to head there. Do stay for a tea and coffee in the courtyard. God bless to all those online as well. We look forward to sharing with you again soon.